Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode twelve of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. In this episode, we talk about one of our favorite topics: uncertainty. We will go into three common mistakes about uncertainty in business: the idea of just enough uncertainty for decision making, pitfalls of p-value in A/B testing. And how leaders can benefit from fostering conversations about uncertainty and data-driven decision making in their organizations. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Hao, and I'm Nima. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about how uncertainty is everywhere in the business, and in order to deliver good data science work, it's really important that we not only acknowledge uncertainty but also accept it. Uncertainty is for sure happening a lot in data science projects in business, but also fundamentally, uncertainty is always a part of. Doing science. If you consider just a scientific method, you're always dealing with uncertainty in one way or another. A lot of times,、uh, scientists' works start with observations, and observations are always a sample of all of the reality. And based on a number of observations, you end up making conclusions or judgments about your domain and about the world. In another way, scientists start by making clever experiments to learn about phenomena. And then again, you end up collecting results, collecting data, which are always a sample of all the data that you could gather, always a sample of the world. And then, based on these observations, you need to make conclusions. In all of these scenarios, you have to deal with uncertainty. You have to make a statistical inference based on a number of observations that is available to you. And This is completely the same in business. Even though we might not talk about it, what we are dealing with is always uncertain, and we can say that certainty is most often an illusion. It's a nice tool for thinking; it makes things easier, and probably you can find evolutionary reasons that it's helpful to think in certain terms. But in reality, we're always dealing with uncertainty, one way or another. So, can you give an example of something that is commonly thought of as certainty in business context, but actually? It's a lot more productive if we look at it from an uncertainty perspective. We want to test a new idea. We want to test a new feature, for instance. We acknowledge that beforehand we don't know much about it. We go ahead and establish some kind of experiment, some kind of test. A/B tests are one of the most common ones. It has been my experience that although we know that reading into test results have to acknowledge uncertainty, after a while there's a very big tendency into looking at this result in a black or white terms. Look. Into things as either acceptance or rejection of an idea or a hypothesis or a feature. This can be also observed in smaller problems that we face daily in our work. When we want to choose between one method over the other, we typically have a sample of the data, we test two models on it, and then the model with better performance is chosen. While it is very likely that the uncertainty in that decision is ignored and at least not quantified in a good way. I think it has at least two implications on what that means for business. One is that if you ignore uncertainty in a decision, later when things turn out a different way, you got caught by surprise, and at that point nobody remembers. Hey, this has always been the case that when we made the previous decision, we know that there's a chance that the conclusion we come to might not be a hundred percent solid. But at a certain point in everybody's head, this decision becomes a black and white thing. So we kind of ignore this. And 
The second thing there is if we ignore uncertainty or the degree of uncertainty in a decision, we might fall into a mindset that is overly optimistic. So from one second to another, something that, let's say, has an 80% chance of working, we say, wow, this thing is working. There is a change of degree of certainty from 80 to 100%. And what this leads to very often in a business is to ignore the need to manage the risks when these things doesn't work. You really need to have this readiness for accepting uncertainty from the business side as well. A lot of people are unwilling to accept that nobody might know the answer at this moment. You might be pushed into a position where you have to make a decision before having data, before having observations or enough evidence about the measurement in the future. This is a very dangerous position to be in if the readiness for accepting uncertainty does not exist. And ideally, this should be something deep in the culture of the organization that lets you say, I'm not quite certain about this. These are my predictions about the future. This is my confidence bounds around the value. This is where I get this confidence bound from based on previous experiments, your own judgment, typically a mix of the two. And lack of this kind of thinking can actually lead to a lot of disasters like the cases that you mentioned, that in the future when things go forward and when experiments are actually run, when more data is gathered, a lot of things look surprising. But people forgetting that uncertainty used to exist can look back at this and say this was wrong information. But at the moment that the decision was made, there was just uncertainty around it that we kind of pushed under the rug and didn't want to talk about it openly. There is a scenario that is quite often seen in the business. A topic moved to a different team, and then we found out that, hey, what we used to think that is working is no longer working anymore. And one wrong way to look at it, these previous team don't know what they were doing. It might not be the case. It might just be the uncertainty in the decision and the conclusion of it. This is similar to what happened a lot in science about the reproducibility crisis. Absolutely. So I think there is some similarity in there as well. Again, maybe similar to the case of scientists that are doing research and attempting to publish their work, there could be a trap in being defensive about your work and trying to prove it any way possible. And I see also data scientists can have this trap in front of them when faced, especially with challenges or maybe even doubt from other people in the organization, that you tend to also ignore the uncertainty in your work to some extent and try to sell your work as something absolute and deterministic. Now you mentioned that we also had a conversation a few days ago where you mentioned the opposite a situations when because there's uncertainty, people kind of take it too much to the heart that can hinder actions. The other end of the extreme could be that you're completely aware of the uncertainty in your work. And because of that, you're unwilling to make any commitments about a decision one way or the other. That's a sort of paralysis in some way. Either you end up saying, I can't tell anything about the future, so just let me do what I'm doing. Or you end up saying, the future is unpredictable. We're completely in the dark and we cannot know anything there. And that's also not a productive attitude. In the end, optimal decisions are made by acknowledging uncertainty, modeling uncertainty in your decisions. And this other end of the extreme, where you assume uncertainty means complete darkness and complete lack of information, is also not the most productive way to move forward. Yeah, I think there are some healthy exchange between the 
data science and the business side can be quite useful. The business side had a tendency of focus on the pragmatism of the decisions and say, how can we move forward? While on the data science side, we can complement that with thinking in how to quantify uncertainty on how to model it. And at the end, like you mentioned, I think the best decision, of course, changes depends on each situation, but it should be a careful balance between how much uncertainty are we willing to accept versus how much we want to quantify. I think a very useful attitude there to think about uncertainty is iterative problem solving. The same way that when you're searching through your solution space, you don't know necessarily which direction is the best. You go and try out solutions, learn more about your domain, learn more about the possible solutions. You can look at uncertainty and the degree of uncertainty in your work in the same way. You might have a very big range of values that are possible when you start working on a problem or looking in a specific direction in your problem. And you can look deeper in that direction, maybe gather more data, gather more observations, whatever is needed to reduce that uncertainty when it makes more sense. It's also possible there to sometimes get obsessed by getting uncertainty to a very precise level, which might not be necessary for making the next step. And that way of looking at uncertainty and reduction of uncertainty, again, as iterative problem solving, can be very constructive during the whole project and also in your communications with the other departments or people who care about this work. I think there one potential pitfall for data science work is you might come across information or proof about how little value there is to reduce uncertainty beyond a certain degree. If you care about the quality of your work, then the natural tendency is I need to deliver really high quality work and therefore reducing the uncertainty there is quite important. On the other hand, a few times we have seen that actually beyond a certain degree, trying to reduce it further does not really help with getting more information and it does not help improving the quality of the decision much further. There are definitely diminishing returns there in the amount of effort, money, data that you gather to reduce uncertainty. And In many situations, your work is not the ultimate place of making impact. For instance, let's say a typical case in many organizations who are working on products to test online on customers is some kind of two-stage process of offline and online evaluation. When in the offline evaluation, before exposing your new product to your users, you try to predict more or less how good this product will perform. When things are good enough, you move to an online evaluation phase where you actually test on real users and try to see the impact that it's making. One place where it's very common to spend too much on reducing uncertainty can be the offline evaluation phase. The relation between your offline evaluation results and your online evaluation results is not very predictable in many cases. So it might be a lot more beneficial to pull down the good enough line a bit or increase the degree of uncertainty that you can accept in your offline evaluation so that you can get online evaluation results more quickly and learn about the real impact of your solutions faster and do iterations faster. Now you mentioned offline evaluation and online evaluation. I think one of the most common used tool in businesses, especially software businesses nowadays, is A-B testing. If you want to make changes to some aspect of your product, then you keep your current version of the product as the baseline, as the A version, and then you test a changed version, ideally not changing too many things at the same time, and that is your B version. So this is A-B testing. It's quite common 
commonly used in business. There are a few quite commonly misunderstood concepts in A-B testing. A lot of them go back to using p-values for measuring the effect of your A-B test or making decisions after you gather data about your test. Of course, problems with p-values are rather well known in the statistical community. There are a lot of publications that deal with misconceptions around p-values, misuse of p-values. But in business, I feel that kind of understanding is not to the depth of levels in academia. Although even in scientific papers, every year we still see misuse of p-values and maybe that's just some fundamental problems with this tool, which is a very helpful tool in many situations. But in business, it can really end up in completely suboptimal decision-making. I think one of the most common pitfalls is at least this tendency to think in dichotomies. We mentioned the black or white way of thinking and use of p-values seem to be a very good tool to encourage this way of thinking, probably because of the vocabulary around it. Also, some rather shallow understanding of the concept of p-values. Because when talking about p-values, it's convenient to say something is significant or not significant. That seems to be a very encouraging tool for drawing a line in the sand and saying this result is useful, this result is useless. Giving a complete false sense of security when things pass a specific kind of arbitrary threshold versus situations where our result is just slightly before the line that we draw in the sand and then denying it completely as any evidence for making any decision. I think this situation is quite commonly caused by the combination of two things. One is uh, what you mentioned, nature of p-value and non-hypothesis testing approach. And I think second thing, if you look at from an information theory perspective, if you conduct an experiment, although you might get into a situation where you say, okay, based on certain threshold about p-value we set for ourselves for hypothesis testing, it does not pass that test. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that the information you gather has no value at all. I think this is something that is very easily forgotten in business, especially think about the typical scenario, online business of any size, you typically run hundreds of experiments at any given time, especially if you count the interaction effects between the different variations. It's just human nature to try to simplify those. Like you mentioned, very commonly, you can see in a business that sometimes we accept a A-B test based on a p-value that is just above the threshold that we set for ourselves. And as time goes by, usually in the matter of weeks, people all forget about that fact. And then a month later, two months later, maybe just by chance, you test removing that feature and see what is the impact. And you're surprised that there is very little impact. We have seen a few situations like this. But also what is very interesting, the flip side of that is that because when we made the decision to accept the test, it's a dichotomy. The decision was kind of codified in people's head as this new feature has positive impact on X. Then you are talking about developing other product features that might contradict with this or that might require you to remove this feature. Then it certainly becomes, no, we cannot remove this feature because it's so much impactful. Well, if you look at the test result, the experiment you run, you might come to a different conclusion. It might be just above the 95% confidence level. So maybe it's worth to test that again. I think that's a very common case. And again, one of the common misconceptions around p-values. For instance, even by definition, p-values do not guarantee repetition. If you have p-value less than 5% in this experiment, it doesn't mean if you run this experiment, repeat this experiment 100 times, it's going to be less than 5 times that you get the result on the side of the line that you want. This is just not part of the definition. Another misconception around p-values is that people tend to read these numbers as if this number is talking about the alternative hypothesis 
hypothesis to be true. But again, that is not the case. P-value is talking about seeing the data that you see given that the null hypothesis is true. So a p-value of less than 5% is not directly talking about the alternative hypothesis. It's not even directly talking about the null hypothesis. It's a conditional probability of seeing a data given that the null hypothesis is true. And these statements, which might look like details, actually have very far-reaching consequences in decision-making. That's why it could be very dangerous to use these tools and read too much into them in a way without knowing the real meaning and the real definitions behind these statistical tools. I think exactly because of the lack of this understanding, you commonly see that only a small number of people in any organization actually makes decision about the A-B test, actually are the person who are entitled or given the power to interpret A-B testing results. Maybe that's the main message that we hope to convey with this episode, in the sense that we need to have more literacy about uncertainty throughout the organization, definitely among data scientists, but also any other role that is dealing with uncertainty and decision-making under uncertainty. And if I look at the current condition in most companies, that is really not the case. There is kind of a selected few who are literate in reading these statistics, also hold kind of a monologue around interpreting this kind of data and making decisions with this data. On some level, I can see the point of having maybe an unbiased group of people who are experts in reading into these numbers and we can consult for making decisions. But on the other hand, like any kind of monopoly, it could lead to very dangerous situations, especially in an organization in business with a lot of different motivations for people. And I think one point to point out there is that we are not saying that if you have such a group in your company, these people are evil or they want to uh, withhold information or they want to establish themselves as the monopoly of knowledge. That's not what we are saying. But what we are saying is that based on what we have seen in different companies, there is a natural tendency for such a group to form because of the nature of the math and the statistical thinking required behind it. But then on the other hand, because of this, it is actually quite important if you are a leader of your organization to intentionally encourage more people to understand this, to encourage this group of people to share more about that. And that can be very powerful, as we have also seen in situations when this happened. Yeah, absolutely. On one hand, a very selected few is always a potential situation for making bottlenecks. And a lot of these bottlenecks could be avoided if there is more literacy around uncertainty and reading into uncertainty. And on the other hand, it also makes conversation a lot more effective and decision making a lot more effective and easier if there's higher level of understanding of uncertainty in more people in the organization rather than a very selected few. And combination of these two could lead to a lot more value generated in any organization, in any group of people. And the lack of this kind of literacy could also lead to bottlenecks, miscommunication, misconceptions, and most probably suboptimal decision making. It is very important to have the conversation between the business, the product, and the data science and analysis part of it. To encourage the conversation, to make sure that both sides speak a common language so that we understand each other, because otherwise you will very likely get into a situation where people throw the ball over the wall to the other side. So then on the product and business side, they say it's not our job to interpret numbers, let the number people interpret numbers, and then some tasks is created, some analysis is briefed, and then over to the other side on the data and 
number side, people took this, not necessarily having the full context, but then just run some analysis and throw the result back and say, okay, interpretation of the result is to the business side and the product side. So we just check the numbers. Whenever you end up in this situation, it's not very healthy because it creates a very weird dynamic between the parties. And also for the business as a whole, you learn a lot slower. If you are a business leader, really encourage these two groups, people in your organization to have more exchange, to learn from each other instead of throwing the ball over the fence. And I think as a leader, it could be really helpful to encourage acceptance of uncertainty and making uncertainty a part of your conversation in general. Because the other side of it, and maybe the dark side of it, when uncertainty leads to vagueness, it can lead to situations where the highest paid person is abusing this situation for making the decision, for moving in the direction that they think is best with a very false pretension of being data-driven and having proof for that kind of thinking. And I think that's definitely worse than even directly going ahead and just making authoritarian decisions because this veil of being data-driven and this pretension of having proof around it makes it look much more robust than it actually is in practice. But if you can encourage bringing uncertainty in your common language, if you can encourage measuring and talking about uncertainty in most conversations that involve big decisions, you can avoid falling into that big trap. Yeah, and I think this doesn't need to happen with any intention can very well be naturally that if both sides don't have good conversation with each other and also there are some misunderstanding of p-value of how a b testing really work fundamentally then you can easily get into a situation that there are confusions around and then there are conflicting outcomes of different interpretation of the test and you know whenever we look at historical tests then some things we thought that were working were not really working all this adding together can bring confusion and when there is a lot of confusion and not resolved in time, then at a certain point, the highest paid person will need to put the fist on the table and say, let's just go with decision X. It doesn't need to happen to that degree of drama, but then some version of that happens quite often in everyday work in the data science realm. And in the end, it's not optimal decision-making yep. because data-driven decision-making is in the end 99% of the time decision-making under uncertainty. And if we claim we have data-driven organizations and we want to make the best use of our data, we want to be scientific in our progress, then I believe you really need to encourage thinking about uncertainty, acknowledging uncertainty and bringing it into your discussions and common language in your organization. And last but not least, when people talk about significance in A-B testing, it can mean two things. It's a subtle difference but then it's quite meaningful one. When the data scientists and analysts talk about significance, very often it's referring to the significance in statistics. So that means there's a certain threshold that we set for p-value. Does the experiment outcome pass that level or not? But then on the business side, what is quite more interesting is significance in impact. So how big is the effect size? I've seen many, many times in meetings between business and the data science side, both sides talk about significance, but then both sides mean different things and nobody found out for like 30 minutes. That's one of the most common pitfalls in especially using p-values for decision-making. Maybe by definition, people are always checking for this statistical significance. In itself, it's arbitrary. You choose some threshold, typically 5%. If your p-value is less than that threshold, then the result is significant. Even forgetting about that kind of arbitrary 
pretty black or white way of thinking, significance in impact is not related to this. That's a big pitfall of using p-values. When we talk about making impact by data science, we're always talking about the size of the impact, the amount of the impact that you're making. Did you move something by 2% or 5% or 10%? But when you talk about a statistical significance of a test, you're talking about how likely or unlikely is it to see this kind of result given the null hypothesis. There are a lot of situations there that could hurt you a lot in this way of thinking. You're kind of losing track of what is really important for the problem that you're solving. What's really important is the amount of impact, not just the fact that you have enough data to show that there is some impact made. For instance, I've seen more than a few presentations, even from very good data scientists, when they worked for a long time on some solution to improve an existing baseline, where their conclusion was that, as you can see, the result is significantly better. What they meant by that was that the p-value was less than 5%, or whatever other threshold they chose for deciding on significance. But when you turn the attention to the size of the impact, a lot of times we saw that this size was not on levels that could practically make any difference in the final product that you're testing. So a very simple example, let's say you're having this pipeline for classifying images and tagging images, and you have a product that uses these existing tags that you assign to the images to show some kind of relevant image to people. If you improve your precision in detecting a specific class of images, which happen one in a thousand images anyway, and you improve this by less than 1%, but the result is significant, in practice, it's not very likely that you make a big impact on the top line of the numbers that you care about or make a really huge impact overall on your user experience by making this improvement in your classification. But this can be easily forgotten about because, for instance, the academic literature is very obsessed with significance and it might make a lot of sense there because even a small delta improvement could be worth publishing because it's maybe opening a door for doing things in a new way. But in the business, that's not typically the goal. The goal is to make a meaningful impact so that some top line number or some number for a meaningful subset of the users is really improved. Another pitfall of using statistical significance that might not be very obvious in the beginning is that once you have a lot of data, it becomes much easier mathematically to show something is significantly better or worse than another thing. That's maybe a pitfall of having big data in some sense, because just the way that these formulas are defined, having more and more observations make it easier to see a smaller impact size as a statistically significant impact size. Making the distinction between these two is definitely crucial for good decision making, problem solving, and making real value in the real world. Nice. I think this is more or less this episode, tradition of the show. What is one key takeaway that we can share with the audience that they can apply tomorrow in their daily work? One takeaway I can suggest, look for cases where definitely uncertainty exists, but it's not reported. A typical case is when people come to you and say, this new amazing model has this level of precision, let's say 86%, 90% precision, without giving you any information about the amount of uncertainty in their estimates or how they came to that kind of computation, with what kind of data did they make that decision, and without quantifying the uncertainty in any meaningful way for you around the message that they're giving about the size of an impact, about a level of performance. You can make a lot better decisions if you try to ask for uncertainty there. If there is no idea about uncertainty, take it as a bad sign and definitely ask for better understanding of the suggestion that is being made. 
All right, everyone. This is another episode of Naked Data Science. See you next time. See you next time. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills, and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show/webinar. That is nds.show/webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Thank you.